following program is intended for mature audiences. This is Rudy's Revelation. Welcome. Sunday, May 23rd, 2021. This week I'll be talking about Keynesian economics and John Maynard Keynes. And what this means to you, what this means about your political leanings. We'll also be talking back to the Sunday Talking Heads on CBS Face the Nation, where former Secretary of Defense. Robert Gates, an establishment hack who puts more distance between the neocon rhinos and the America First and Liberty Movement, who have taken over the Republican Party, the GOP. Also be checking out the Sunday Morning Propaganda at our favorite feel-good feature news program, CBS Sunday Morning, where correspondent Khalifa Sena talks with Mike Kaufman, the mayor of Aurora, Colorado, who discussed the problem of homelessness, and also proponents of socialism who say that giving the indigent housing through a program known as Housing First is the answer. Also be tearing into the Sunday New York Times, showing how the newspaper continually mischaracterizes the facts to mislead the public. And of course, I'll be going over the weekend headlines all in the next 30 minutes. First, I'll be taking you back to school, giving you some historical context to frame this week's news narratives. of the day is Keynesianism. Definition of Keynesianism, the economic theories and programs ascribed to John M. Keynes and his followers specifically, the advocacy of monetary and fiscal programs by government to increase employment and spending. Increase in sp- increase spending is what they're talking about. Now, uh, the Keynesians believe that you could keep borrowing with no effect to the economy, um, but most of us know that that leads to inflation. Now, Keynesian economics, uh, this is from Wikipedia, sometimes known as Keynesianism, named after the economist John Maynard Keynes, are the various macroeconomic theories and models of how to aggregate demand 
total spending in the economy which strongly influences economic output and inflation. In the Keynesian view, aggregate demand does not necessarily equal the productive capacity of the economy. Instead, it is influenced by a host of factors, sometimes behaving erratically, affecting production, employment, and inflation. So he basically says that borrowing and government spending uh, doesn't necessarily have adverse effects. So this is a leftist view. So if you're on the left, you might not know this, but the reason you're liberal is the fact that you support liberal spending. It has nothing to do with you consider yourself a social liberal. Uh, that doesn't really mean anything. Social liberal means you're a libertarian. You believe in less laws governing your liberty. So this is from Dictionary.com, a Keynesian of or relating to the economic theories, doctrines, and policies of Keynes or his followers, especially the policy of maintaining high unemployment, high employment, excuse me, and controlling inflation by varying the interest rates, tax rates, and public expenditure. Public expenditure. The other things are unrelated. Controlling inflation. That's not necessarily the case. From Botanica, Keynesian Economics, body of ideas set forth by John Maynard Keynes in his general theory of employment, interest, and money. That's where those terms, uh, the previous post from dictionary.com, that's where they, they took that from his general theory of employment, interest, and money. 1935-1936, and other works intended to provide theoretical basis for government full employment policies. It was a dominant school of ac- macroeconomics and represented the prevailing approach to economic policy among most Western governments until the 1970s. Uh, this is what puts the banks in control. Presently, the United States pays $500 billion in debt service. That's interest payments on the sum, it's over $20 trillion of debt now that we hold. $500 billion. A lot could be done with $500 billion. So this is from Investopedia. John Maynard Keynes. Who was John Maynard Keynes? John Maynard Keynes was an early 20th century British economist known as the father of Keynesian economics. His career included academic roles in government service. One of the hallmarks of Keynesian economics is that government should actively try to influence the course of their nation's economies, especially to increase spending and lower taxes. So you've got to do those in conjunction for it to even work. In order to stimulate demand in the face of recession, his theories also address the causes of long-term unemployment in his seminal 1936 work, The General Theory of Employment, Interest, and Money, Keynes became an outspoken proponent of full employment and government intervention, basically meaning grow the government. And if you don't have a job, the government will give you one. This is from the Mises Institute. The absurdity of Keynesian economics, the economics of John Maynard Keynes, this is a story from 2018 by Roger Garrison, 
The economics of John Maynard Keynes as taught to the university sophomores for the last several decades is now nearly defunct in theory but not in practice. Keynes' 1936 book, The General Theory of Employment, Interest, and Money, portrayed the market as a fundamentally unstable and touted government as the stabilizer. The stability that allegedly lay beyond the market's reach was to be supplied by the federal government's macroeconomic policymakers, the president, with guidance from the Council of Economic Advisors, the Congress, and the Federal Reserve. This is how the Federal Reserve came into being as the nation's uh, second bank, was the fact that uh, the markets are unstable, so we need some sort of stabilizing force intervention. I just don't believe in Keynesian economics. I don't believe that borrowing money and government spending uh, won't have adverse effects. I believe it does. The acceptance in the economics profession of fundamentalist Keynesians peaked in the 1960s. In recent decades, enthusiasm for Keynes was, has waxed and waned as proponents have tried to give or to get new ideas from the general theory or to read their own ideas into it. And although the government, the federal government, has long since become a net supplier of macroeconomic instability, the institutions and policy tools that were fashioned to conform to the Keynesian vision have become an integral part of our economic and political environment. And this article goes on to deride uh, Keynesian theory. Um, like I said, uh, government spending, you can't get out, or you cannot uh, build a stable economy with government spending, especially if you're borrowing from banks. Less than 3% of you people read books. All right, for our, read our reading recommendation of the day, Obviously, we're going to get into the general theory of employment, interest, and money by John Maynard Keynes. He's also written other books, including The Economic Consequences of Peace. That is very telling. Essays in Persuasion. The Essential Keynes. The Economic Possibilities of Our Grandchildren. And A Trustees on Probability. Uh, the one I'm going to fake it, uh, focus on here is um, the economic consequences of, of the peace. So Amazon has the book listed here. And the description, John Maynard Keynes, then a rising young economics, participated in the Paris Peace Conference in 1919 as a chief representative of the British Treasury and advisor to Prime Minister David Lloyd George. He resigned after desperately trying and failing to reduce the huge demands for reparations being made on Germany. The economic consequences of, of the peace is Keynes brilliant and prophetic analysis of the effects that the peace treaty would have on both Germany and, even more fatefully, the world. Popular lecturer on economics at Cambridge University and editor of the Economic Journal, Keynes made the economic consequences of the peace a major step in his career. It was translated into a dozen languages and sold 100,000 copies in six months. Taken seriously even by those who were opposed to his claims, the book helped lift economics to a new higher level of recognition and acceptance. So, of course, we should read both this 
and the other books by John Maynard Keynes. If you want to get a, including his 1936 work, if you want to get a, a, a nice overview of, of Keynesian economics is what the world is faced in now and why nations are indebted to the banks. All right, getting into the headlines, this is from AP, U.S.-Russia showdown looms as top diplomats meet in Iceland in an article from the 18th by Matthew Lee. Top diplomats for the United States and Russia are set to square off this weekend in Iceland for their first face-to-face encounter that comes as ties between the nations have deteriorated sharply in the recent months. From the Washington Post, he bragged at the dentist's office. He bragged at the dentist's office about attending the Capitol riot. Fed say a patient turned him in. So one of these, uh, one uh, patient at the dentist's office was bragging about going to the 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 Capitol protest on January sixth, and another patient turned him in. This is the continually criminalizing of conservatism, support for Trump, and uh, the new liberty movement. This is from Reuters, from the 21st, Pentagon chief unable to talk to Chinese military leaders despite repeated attempts. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has so far been unable to speak with Chinese top top general despite multiple attempts to set up talks. Relations with China and the United States have grown increasingly tense with the world's two largest economies clashing over everything from Taiwan and Chinese human rights records to its military activity in the South China Sea. So this guy, U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, is ineffectual. Not because he's a black man, um, because he's a liberal. Again from the Washington Post, hiring troubles prompt some employers to eye automation and machines. This is the continuing robotic takeover. The United States today, this is an article by David Lynch from about five days ago. The United States today is producing roughly the same amount of goods and services as before the coronavirus pandemic, but with 8.2 million fewer workers equal to a combined payrolls of every employer in Virginia, Arizona, and Iowa. 8.2 million workers, and the production is the same as pre-pandemic levels. From the New York Post, we don't know exactly what they are. Obama says UFO sightings appear real by Lee Brown. Former President Barack Obama has laughed off rumors that the U.S. government has a secret stash of aliens in their spacecraft while conceding that there really are UFO sightings that the government can't explain. Again, uh, here you have establishment people talking about UFOs. Um, it's Project Bluebeam. So if you don't know what Project Bluebeam is, uh, go to last week's podcast and I go to uh, go into Project Blue Book and Project Blue Beam uh, in depth.
from Bloomberg, Trump plan Trump plans to resume his trademark rallies in June. Former President Donald Trump expects to resume rallies with two events next month and one around July 4th holiday, a personal, uh, and this is quoted, a person familiar with his plans confirmed. So it's unattributed by this article by Mark Niquette, bad journalism. Trump's team is still determining the venues for the rallies. The planned resumption was first reported by the New York Post. So we'll wait and see. We haven't really seen much at all from Donald Trump. Again from the Washington Post, EU to reopen borders to travelers with accepted vaccines. Again, we're going into the vaccine rollout. This is an article by Michael Birnbaum and Chico Harlan. The European Union has agreed to open its borders to vaccinated Americans and others after more than a year in which travel into the bloc has been severely restricted. From the Daily Mail, CDC investigates dozens of reports of heart inflammation in teenagers and young adults that occur occur four days after their second dose of Moderna or Pfizer vaccine. CDC is looking into reports that a small number of teens and young adults vaccinated against the coronavirus may have experienced heart problems, otherwise healthy. And, of course, they characterize it as a small number of teens, condition known as myocarditis, results in an inflammation of the heart muscle, which can occur following certain infections. Oh, you're getting infected. Is that right? From the Hill, Rand Paul, I'm not getting vaccinated. Senator Rand Paul on Sunday said that he will not be getting vaccinated against COVID-19. What a crime. During an interview with John, (laughs) during an interview with WABC 770, Paul, an ophthalmologist, says he's making the personal decision because he's already had COVID-19. And you can also get a test, a tighter test, to see if you have antibodies against COVID-19, which makes uh, getting a vaccination pointless. Turn to the New York Times. Um, first article up, defying critics, Biden and the Fed insist the economic recovery is on track. Confidence from the White House runs counter to warnings from Republicans, some investors, and even a few liberal economists. There's an article by Jim Tanksley and Gianna Smielek. McDonald's, Chipotle, and Amazon are all raising pay as companies try to fill their jobs faster than they can find workers. Airplane tickets and hotel rooms are becoming more expensive as demand rebounds thanks to newly widespread vaccinations. Supply shortages are making it tougher to buy a house or a new car. Republicans look at the economy and see a political liability for the Biden administration. Inflation is taking off, they warn, and worker shortages are threatening the viability of long-suffering small businesses, of course, because they're paying people to stay home. In September, those uh, benefits, those unemployment benefits, will expire. Now, I saw this in Social Cues. Now, this is Philip Galanis' col- column in the New York Times where people write in letters and, 
you know, he answers them. Shouldn't I shouldn't tell my employer I'm vaccinated, right? They had changed the headline. A company is encouraging workers to share pictures of their vaccination cards in exchange for gift cards. One reader is feeling wary. So I just wanted to touch on this uh, briefly. Um, he, the guy writes, I'm creeped out by this invasion of privacy. The, vac- you know, the company shouldn't know whether I'm vaccinated or not. It's an invasion of privacy. But the guy goes on and says, I am vaccinated. How hypocritical would I be to participate in a program that I thoroughly disapprove of because it's an invasion of privacy, but I am vaccinated. I mean, this is really a worry for people that don't want to take the vaccine and they address the invasion of privacy and the your violation of individual liberty. But, of course, it's a vaccinated person because they don't want to you know, give the impression that there are people out there that are weary or wary of invasions of privacy and the nanny state uh, disguised as uh, health care. But the really people that are worried about that are people that don't want the vaccine. And so, you know, typical, they said, oh, but it's a vaccinated person, but I'm still creeped out about it. I'm creeped out about this whole thing. Not just companies asking me about my vaccination status. Because vaccination status is going to be the thing of the future. We have the vaccine passports, etc. You saw in that article about the EU allowing people to fly into the European Union if they're vaccinated. So they're already pushing this in the media. For colleges, vaccine mandates often depend on which party is in power. Hoping for a return to normal, more than 400 colleges and universities are requiring students to be vaccinated for COVID-19. Almost all are in states that voted for President Biden. You can see this socialist authoritarianism is creeping in so subtly that, you know, if you're not awake, that you can't, you can't, you can't see it. Wake up! Wake up! In this article from May 22nd, more than 400 colleges and universities is being billed as the ticket to a normal year on campus, require all students to be vaccinated for the coronavirus before they can matriculate next fall. Um, It's an experimental vaccine. It's an experimental gene therapy that, in my opinion, could be very dangerous. And we'll just see how Dangerous this fall when people start getting colds and they'll have uh, severe autoimmune responses, in my belief. We'll have to see. This isn't going on YouTube, so I, I shouldn't have to worry too much about editing that out. But according to this article, they're, talk about divisive. You could see who's being divisive. Is that it depends which party is in power in that state. As DeSantis said, I'm not going to require people to be vaccinated to return to normal. God bless them. You can feel the tension. A windfall for minority farmers divides rural America. A $4 billion federal fund meant to confront how racial injustice has shaped American farming has angered white farmers who say they're being unfairly excluded. Now, people don't know about this topic 
in the farm bill, a farm subsidy bill, white farmers are being excluded from subsidies because of the color of their skin. It's in the bill. People are freaking out about it. It's racist. Now, if there was a bill that excluded black farmers, that would obviously also be racist. But you can't exclude people from opportunity because of the color of their skin. It's called discrimination, and in fact, it's illegal. Long slide looms for rural population with sweeping ramifications, fewer baby cries, more abandoned homes. Toward the middle of the century, as death starts to exceed births, changes will come that are hard to fathom. Um, It's part of eugenics. It's part of depopulation. It's been going on long long time they're putting chemicals in your food and water to affect your fertility and to confuse your hormones (laughs) it's called endocrine disruptors this is an article by damien cave emma bubala and cho sang hun all over the world countries are confronting population stagnation and fertility bust a dizzying reversal unmatched in recorded history that make first birthday parties a rarer sight than funerals and empty homes a common eyesore. So I'm not going to go any any further into that one. And then in their Sunday Review, which is um, their Sunday op-ed pages, they an outpouring of grief is followed by a summer of righteous anger and peaceful protest. But racism is resilient. America, one year since George Floyd's murder. So lies. I don't really believe he was murdered. Uh Police behavior might might have contributed to his death. I don't believe it was a murder. Um, And peaceful protests. Obviously, we know those weren't peaceful if you even watch the news. But there's one article that I want to concentrate on, the op-ed piece. And that is 14 Trump voters on the legacy of George Floyd. And that the person that runs most of the interviews is none other Guess who? Can anybody guess? Frank Luntz, a longtime strategist for Republican candidates and a veteran of such discussions. Um, and he's not a Republican. He does the same. He's, he's involved in the establishment movement towards socialism. Mr. Luntz encouraged them to share candidly severally made false claims, including the election was stolen and that Black Lives Matter is a Marxist or violent hate group. It is. It is. um, It's called group dynamics, and so when you propagandize certain groups as separatist movements, which Black Lives Matter is, and of course there are always less false claims, including the election was stolen, Everything is predicated on the right by the stolen election. You might not believe it's stolen, but it, 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 it deserves to be investigated. And it was a coup. And what do coup leaders do is once they secure power, they surround government with troops. That's the reality. So it's such a... Such a ruse here in this article by Patrick Healy, who's an opinion editor at the Times. Uh, 
and have Frank Lutz in here. What a putz. Lutz the putz. Lutz the putz. Very discouraging. Anyway, we're going to leave you, of course, with the talking heads. Robert Gates, um, the former defense secretary, who um, puts distance between himself, who's a neocon, and the America First and Liberty Movement. Let's uh, take a look. And Xi Jinping's been very open about saying that he thinks we're a declining power. <laughs> the American people are done with this. If you were analyzing the political structure of the United States as a CIA analyst, and the minority party believed that the majority of the voters in that believed that the president was illegitimate, how would you assess the stability of the political organization of that country? <laughs> Do you think that riots on the 6th of January, that the former president saying that Joe Biden stole the election, is, gives an opportunity to America's enemies to say America is, is a declining power. What you see Xi Jinping saying, and what you saw the Chinese foreign minister saying in Alaska in his meeting with Tony Blinken, but what happened on January 6th, but also the riots last summer, uh, the whole Black Lives Matter, um, and Xi Jinping's been very open about saying that he thinks we're a declining power. The American people are done with this. Yeah, we're a flawed country. We've, we've always had flaws, but we're unique in that we're the only country that actually talks about those flaws and actually works to try and fix them. We are an aspirational country. And if there's a debate in America over whether the last election was legitimate, 70% of Republicans believe it was not. How does a country that can't even agree on that basic obvious truth outright treason ever get behind more abstract truths like sacrificing for democracies in places that you don't know about? Ha, ha, of our military services and their taking an oath to the Constitution. And it's, it's why the military to this day remains perhaps the most respected institution in the country. It's part of, it's what the country represents. Probably aren't five people up here that actually believe that the election was stolen. So part of this is political gaming <laughs> rather than a real conviction. Very dangerous stuff. That kind totally. Of yeah. It's very dangerous. What did you make? You know the Cheney family. What did you make of Liz Cheney's stand and then ultimate ejection from Republican well, leadership? I, I thought she was very courageous. You know, she's a person of, uh, of real integrity. Demonizing the other party. And, of and once you're focused on policies, then you can figure out a way to compromise. Secretary Gates, thank you. Outright treason. And we're going to leave you with um, CBS's Kalefe Sena, who talks to the governor of Aurora, Colorado, about his approach to homelessness. But we're looking at both the conservative approach to homelessness and the socialist approach to homelessness. 
which is give everybody everything, even if they don't contribute. So my problem with it is you can't afford to give everybody a middle-class living if they don't want to uh, work or be productive. It's just it's a socialist economy, and it doesn't work because you're taking from the people that produce and giving it to the people that don't produce. I'm not saying you have to produce, and I'm saying if you don't want to produce, maybe the government should be able to take care of you, but it's got to be, in my opinion, it's got to be at a very poor level because otherwise, if it's at a, a middle-class level, why would anyone want to work? And the problem with things like Section 8 and provided housing is people don't use it as a stepping stone. They just stay there. And so people that really need the help uh, to transition can't do that because all those spots are filled up with people that just don't want to work. So let's listen in. Mike Kaufman, the mayor of Aurora, Colorado, wanted to try something different. This was really a way in which I felt that I could understand it better. He says he wanted to immerse himself in homelessness for a week. What kind of ground rules did you set for yourself? Don't bring any money or access to money. Don't uh, bring any food. Uh, so I had a, a backpack, had a sleeping bag, extra pair of socks, and the clothes I had, <laughs> and that was it and went undercover to live among the homeless. Why not do what most mayors would do? Maybe commission some reports, have some meetings. It seems like a lot of the things we're trying are not really working. And after eating and sleeping alongside some of his homeless constituents. This is not about a lack of shelter. It absolutely is not. It is a lifestyle choice and it is a very dangerous lifestyle. We're not going to uh, solve the problems for people with addictive disorders. We're not going to solve the people uh, that have uh, mental health challenges, but we will help those uh, that, that have economic challenges in terms of being able to afford stable housing. Mary Cunningham has been studying homelessness for more than 20 years. Homelessness has been with us for a long time. It increased significantly in the 1970s, and we responded by building shelters. On any given night, more than half a million people live in shelters and on the streets. But Cunningham says the shelter system only manages the problem. The approach, called housing first, reverses the traditional model. We would say, hey, let's help you get a job. We can help get you some substance use counseling. But you need to do all of those things first. So we really used housing as a reward. And mm -hmm. it didn't work, quite frankly. Um, Why not? Because it's so hard to do those things, get a job, work on your mental health problems when you're literally sleeping in a tent. So instead of giving housing second, third, or fourth, they give housing first. Why is it that you think that the so-called housing first model can't work more broadly? I understand the notion that housing is so basic to the human condition that if you address that, not in te a temporary way, but in a permanent way, that the other things will fall in place. I just don't think that that's realistic. We're not Washington, D.C. Uh, we have to have balanced budgets. Cunningham says the problem is perception. They're going to put you all back in chains. If I'm a politician, I would think that one of my first reactions is, this sounds expensive. Housing provides really significant returns on investment. 
So for example, let's take um, people who are experiencing chronic homelessness. They're moving in and out of shelter. They're moving in and out of emergency rooms. They're having interactions with police. All of those emergency services really cost a lot of money. Perhaps the most important finding, since the Veterans Administration embraced the Housing First program a decade ago, veteran homelessness has been cut in half. convincing everyday people, everyday taxpayers, that it's actually a good idea, while they're paying their rent every month or paying their mortgage every month, to give free housing to some other people. There are myths that people choose to be homeless. offer someone a key to an apartment, they take that choice. The problem is, is people just don't have good choice. For some of them, a place to live doesn't seem like the solution to all their problems. Alright, that's it for me. We'll see you next week. Rudy's Revelation. Check us out. Facebook and Twitter. And now my mind.